Amen. All right, Bobby, you ready? It's been a couple of weeks. I gave you a break. Okay, here, check this one out. All right, he was not only an original signer of the Declaration of Independence, but John Adams actually considered this guy to be, listen, one of America's three most notable founding fathers, right alongside with George Washington and Benjamin Franklin. And he was born on a plantation in 1746, just outside of Philadelphia, and he was the fourth of seven children. And his father died when he was six years old, which left his mom to take care of the country store that they ran. So she sent him off to live with his relatives so he can get a proper education. And it didn't take long for him to do just that. In 1760, he graduated from the College of New Jersey, later to be called Princeton, which used to be based on uh, Christian principles. And later he went to Scotland where he graduated from the University of Edinburgh with a master's degree. And when he came back to the colonies, he opened up a medical practice and joined the Sons of Liberty a group dedicated to the protection of the rights of the colonists and fighting against the tyranny of the stranglehold of Great Britain. And like many others of his time, he not only used his education to alleviate the sufferings of man, listen, but to alleviate the sufferings of sin that could be remedied only through Jesus Christ. Get this, as the founding member, listen to this, of America's first Bible society, he is the one who helped started the creating the American Sunday School movement. Came from this guy way back then, folks. Okay, then he helped organize America's first anti-slavery society, and he was the leader of a national abolition movement. And then when it came to the education of the American youth, listen to this, right? We're supposed to keep Jesus out of school, right? That's what they say today. This is the father of public schools under the Constitution. Here's what he said. The gospel of Jesus Christ prescribes the wisest rules for just conduct in every situation in life. Happy are they who are enabled to obey them in all situations. The great enemy of salvation of man, Satan, in my opinion, he says, never invented a more effective means of limiting Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was, quote, improper to read the Bible in schools. He warned about that back then. He said Christianity, though, is the only and true perfect religion, and in proportion to mankind adopt its principles and obey its precepts, they will be wise and happy. Listen, the Bible should be read in our schools in preference to all other books. Founding Father. And then in 1806, he actually proposed inscribing, quote, the phrases, the Son of Man came into the world not to destroy men's lives, but to save them above the doors of courthouses and other public buildings. And he clearly let it be known where his true eternal hope lies. He says, my only hope of salvation is in the infinite transcendent love of God manifested to the world by the death of his son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross. Nothing but his blood will wash away my sins. I rely upon it exclusively. And today, he is still known in our country as one of the greatest physicians, educators, philanthropists, humanitarian statesmen, surgeon general of the Continental Army, signer of the Declaration of Independence, treasurer of the U.S. Mint, and member of the Continental Congress, and the father of American medicine, just to name a few of the hats he wore. The man's name, of course, is Dr. Benjamin Rush. So much for not having Christians as founding nation. Can you imagine? That's one Christian, one guy, Right? One guy, look at all the things that he did. How many guys would say that Dr. Benjamin Rush had a pretty cool life as a Christian, right? God used him to affect the whole course of our nation, folks. And we have forgotten his words of wisdom. It is Jesus Christ that we need to follow and have in our schools. Hello. Okay, and we've turned away from that. But that's right, folks. Once again, we've got a problem. Even though God's the same God and we're just as much his children as Dr. Benjamin Rush is, right? What's going on today? Most of us as Christians, if we're honest with ourselves, we read the Bible on one hand, we take a look at our life in the other, and we're going, there is a serious disconnect here. I mean, it's not matching up. How come, you know, I read one thing in the Bible, I took a look at my life, and it's not matching up. How come these people, like Dr. Benjamin Rush, they get to have this amazing, fruitful walk with Jesus Christ, just like I read with the people in the Bible, and here I am, fumbling around the dark. I don't have this life worth living for. I got a life worth giving up. You ever been there as a Christian? Wonder why it doesn't compute? Well, folks, that's why we're going to continue our study, A Life Worth Living For. And what we're doing is taking a look at the different keys I believe are pivotal if we're going to have those amazing walks just like Dr. Benjamin Rush had. And it really is available to every single Christian. God's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Do you know that? Okay. In fact, turn to somebody and say it once again. That means you. I'm trying to make it easy, right? Okay, it really is true, okay? Now, we've already seen the first six times, the first key to a life worth living for, living for Jesus in a, a great way in these last days, is experiencing God's joy. 
Okay, then we saw the second key, of course, was experiencing God's peace. Then we saw the next four times, who's counting? Apparently I am, Bobby. Uh, that is experiencing God's worship. And then the last three times we saw, the fourth key was experiencing God's fruit. Now, this is just common sense that we've been seeing, right? I mean, you can't just think about it. Wouldn't it be great if just somehow you could just sleep on your pillow at night and through some spiritual osmosis, <gasps> you became a great, mighty Christian? How many guys would buy that pillow? Yeah, I would too, okay? But it doesn't work that way. And we saw if we're ever going to get around to living these lives that we keep reading about every single week of some amazing Christian at some aspect of Christian history who did some amazing things for God, then we got to do something about it, right? We got to be fruitful ourselves. We got to do what God says to do or be obedient to him or we're wasting our time. Now, last time we saw the third thing we need to learn if we're going to have that fruitful walk with Jesus is to have an attitude of instant obedience. One that obeys God, boom, lickety split. No hesitation, no categorization. Whatever God says, you do it, okay? And we saw that's the whole issue that we have a problem with. We can sit there and we can consecrate ourselves unto God. We can say, I'm going to obey him every single day. We can acknowledge that his way is the best way to the best possible life this side of heaven but if we don't get our timing down it's all going to get messed up and we saw the two roadblocks that we put up every single day and one was this attitude of hesitation god gives us an order but we go oh. let me think about that first what what's there to think about name one command from god that's bad for us it's all for our good but we give into hesitation and things get messed up the next thing that we do is we give into categorization and we size it up like it's no big deal. It's a small thing. It's a minor issue. You know, like that speed limit thing. Remember that? It's, just, it's not a big thing, right? And we forget the reality, folks. God wants obedience in all things, not just what we categorize as the big or small thing. Why? Because that might be the very reason why he's not cutting you loose with the big thing. He can't trust you with this little small thing. If you're faithful with the little, I'm going to entrust you with the much and he won't trust you with the much because he's waiting for you to do something small first common sense okay but that's not all we're going to take a look at another aspect of what god would have you and i to do when it comes to an attitude of obedience okay and this is this the fourth thing we need to learn is to have an attitude of unquestionable obedience i mean no questions asked he gives the order just do what in the world he says to do why because who is this this is God, this is Jesus. He is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the master of the universe. When he gives an order, you obey him. How dare we question him? Have we forgotten that he's not just our Savior? He is Lord of all. In fact, this is wrapped into acknowledgement of his lordship is wrapped up into the very salvation we rest our eternal hopes on. I didn't say it. God did. Romans chapter 10, open your Bibles there. Romans chapter 10 okay verses 9 through 13 notice how many times we're going to see this word lord okay not to again downplay jesus being our savior praise god for that but notice in this salvation passage okay how many times he talks about jesus being lord okay and again this is the classic romans road right you say well how do i lead somebody to jesus what do they need to know well the romans road right romans chapter 3 all of sin we fall short of the glory of god no one is righteous no not one right the wages of sin is death we deserve to die and go straight to hell romans 6 but praise god uh, the gift of eternal life is through jesus christ our lord isn't that wonderful yay and then you get to romans 10 in the romans road and bang what's he say about jesus you need to confess with your mouth this is what I think we forget, and I think it has a detrimental effect on our attitude towards obedience to God. Okay, let's take a look here. Romans chapter 10, okay, and let's take a look at what God would share with you and I. Drop down there to verse 9. It says this, for if you what? Confess with your mouth, Jesus is, what's the word there? Lord, not Savior, Lord. Now again, I'm not discounting Savior. That's important. Praise God he saves us, Amen. But you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be what? Say, praise God. It's all the work of Jesus. It's not our works. It's all from Jesus Christ. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, not your works. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never, praise God, be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same what? Lord is what? Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for listen everyone who calls on the name of the what lord will be saved how many times just in that romans road passage 
is the word not Savior used, but the word Lord used. In just a couple verses. Four different times for those of you hooked on counting. Okay, is the answer there. Okay, now what's amazing is right here in this passage, it openly, repeatedly declares that Jesus is not just our Savior. It emphatically declares you need to confess that he is Lord. Now, for those of you who don't realize what this word means, Lord comes from the Greek word kurios. Let's say that. Kurios. kurios. How many of you guys kurios what it means? Ken, you funny Greek scholar, you give it up for Ken. Right? Now, kurios literally means simply this, okay? We don't seem to like this word because of uh, the slavery movement and stuff, but it literally means this, master. Master. Right? Remember the show I Dream of Genie? What you call the guy? Master. Man, how many guys today appreciate it? When your wife calls you master. <laughs> Ken, you're in trouble, dude. Let's pray for him. pray for you again. Are you kidding me? Right? No, usually those are fighting words, right? But master. But this is what the word means. Curious. It means master. It means literally master of all. Now, here's what's really wild. What's interesting, the word savior appears in the New Testament 24 times. That's good. That's important. Listen to this. In the New Testament, the word Lord appears 665 Savior 24 times, Lord 665 times. So I don't know about you guys, you seem pretty smart. Which do you think God's trying to provide the greater emphasis on? Lordship, all right? And again, not to downplay that Jesus is our Savior, that's important, praise God for that, amen? But apparently, wrapped up even in this salvation passage on the classic Roman road, one thing that God wants us to confess and get it through out of our mouth and into our heads is that Jesus Christ, he's not just our Savior. You need to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Right? Can we agree on that? Now, here's the problem. And this is what I believe even as Christians, we seem to forget over time. We get so locked into this Savior aspect, and that's true, praise God, please don't lose sight of that. That we forget the core issue here that, listen, Jesus, who did we surrender to? Whose name did we call upon to save us in the first place? Lord, Master of all, Jesus. And because we downplay that, I think it has a, an effect on our obedience towards God. We readily confess that he is our Savior, and rightly so. But how many every single day do we confess, Jesus, thank you for being Lord of all? My Lord, the Lord of everything. Oh, by the way. Did you know that we don't make Jesus Lord? He's Lord already. We acknowledge his lordship. But he is Lord of all. He's not just our Savior, he's our Lord. So that means that, listen, when he gives an order, what do you do? <laughs> you obey it, man. He calls the shots, not you. How dare we question him? Do we have any idea who we're dealing with here? What does it mean to be Lord of all? One guy puts it this way. He says this. Here stands God on the day of creation. And he looks at the stars and he says, all you stars, move yourself to this place. And, and, and you start in this order and you move in a circle and, and move exactly as I tell you until I give you another word. And they obey the stars. And then he says, planets, pick yourselves up and whirl and make this formation of my command until I give you another word. And they do. He looks at the mountains and says, be lifted up. And they obey him. He says to the valleys, be cast down, and they obey him. He looks at the seas, and he says, you will come this far and no more, and the sea obeys. And then he looks at you and I and says, come, and we say, no. And he says this, does that bother anyone? <laughs> yeah, it should. Why? Because have we forgotten? This is Jesus. He's not just our Savior. He is the Lord of all. And this is what I think we need to be reminded of. This is what I believe God is trying to tell us in our passage, in our salvation passage, that when God gives us an order, you obey him, no questions asked. He is Lord of all. And so surely that's what we're doing, right? When Jesus gives us command, we just do it, man. No questions asked, no rebellion, whatever he wants. Yes, sir. How high, sir? Every single time you get it. No. And I think it's because we've forgotten a couple things about his lordship. Okay, and the first thing is we forget, folks, that God's way is different than our own. All right? God's going to do some things. He's going to ask you to do some things that maybe you don't understand. Oh, well, do it anyway. He's Lord. Okay? And he's good. Trust him. And I think this is what Isaiah is trying to get through our heads here in Isaiah 55. It says this, for my thoughts, God speaking, are not your thoughts. Okay? And neither are your ways my ways. Declares, what's the word? The Lord. There it is. As the heavens are higher than the earth. How many guys would say that that's kind of a 
big difference. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So are my ways, God says, higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay. So it's pretty clear, folks. We see here in the scripture. Okay. If you think about this, it really shouldn't be a surprise here. I mean, God's statement here, if you think about this, even logically, even philosophically, God is so huge, he's so big, he's so way above and beyond us. Of course, there's going to be some things we don't understand, right? I mean, think about it. My puny brain, there's no way, logically, could ever understand the infinite. I get that. It would be illogical to think otherwise. And besides, what kind of a God would he be or would we have if he was no bigger than my brain, my understanding? Answer, not that big. That's my wife. Okay, she can prove that point. Okay. Okay, but seriously, here's the point. Even though I may not understand what God's doing sometimes, I shouldn't be surprised because, hello, He's God. Of course, I'm not going to understand everything, but I trust Him and just do what He says. I trust in His Lordship. I trust in His character. I trust in His love for me. I trust in His goodness and do what He says, no questions asked. Only he can see the big picture. Only he has the eternal perspective. I just do what he says, no questions asked, have a great day. But the problem is that's not what we do. Listen, instead of acknowledging that God's way is different from our ways, which again is just common sense logic, he's God. We rebel and we think that, listen, his way is to be our way before we can obey. Right? Because... Surely it's God's way if it matches what we want, right? Now, folks, we do do this all the time. And how many times do we get burned by this, making this deadly assumption? I'm going to give you just one example. I did this when I was in Bible college, right? And I was invited with a couple other people to facilitate a time of... She's already laughing. (laughs) To facilitate a time of worship, okay? I used to lead worship and stuff. Uh, with guitar and stuff in Bible college and other pastors and stuff. And so, anyway, so I, I, at first I thought when I got saved, maybe God was going to call me to music ministry or something else, whatever. But he led more towards the teaching. And that was cool. So anyway, but that time I'm doing a lot of worship music. And so I was asked to facilitate a time of worship for a traveling evangelist in Sacramento. Woohoo, that's right. And so I accepted immediately, first mistake. <laughs> oh, first mistake, man. <gasps> I didn't seek God out. God, is this your will? Is this your way, right? Because I, I want to surrender my thought, my way to you to make sure that I'm on track. I didn't do that, first mistake. Second mistake is I didn't check references. Always check references. Anyway, so whatever. So I assumed it had to be God's way because it was my way, right? And here's what happened. So that following weekend arrived, right? And I get into this rented conference room, right? And I got my guitar and I got my equipment. I got my amps and stuff. And I got the effects processors and all the pedals and all the cords and all the equipment. I got it all with me right in hand. And I'm beginning to set up my stuff up there in the front of the stage. And I'm all, I'm all kind of glued onto that. And then I turned around. I realized that behind me, there's a television crew making preparations. And I'm going, hey, this is great. I had no idea I was going to be on TV, right? It's like a double blessing, right? And so we sang, right, praise unto the Lord. We were on first, right? And everything went off without a hitch, right? And so we sat down there on the front row. They sat us on the front row where the important people are. Rather tall in the seat there. So we sat there in the front row, and the traveling evangelist gets up there to present their message, and, and I'm feeling really special, right? Important. And they get into the message, only a few minutes into the message, I realize they're speaking total, absolute heresy. It was that word of faith baloney stuff, man. They get up there, oh, God gave me a word, and there's five people in the audience here. God's telling you right now, write me a check of $500, and he'll bless you tenfold. He'll give you five grand. Come on down, just write a check right now. Come down, and I'm saying, oh, no! <laughs> and I wanted to run. I kid you not, I wanted to run. But I couldn't because all my expensive equipment's right there. I couldn't leave it, so I'm stuck there, right? And so I said, okay, I'm just going to have to sweat bullets for a while. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden I remembered, wait a second, this thing's being televised. <laughs> oh, no. And so I said, what, 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 what if somebody from the Bible college sees this? Are they going to think I agree with this? Wacko, what's my teacher's going to think? Oh, no. I kid you not, I still wasn't. I, fig- I, okay, I got to get out of this somehow, right? I can't. Run. <laughs> I actually did this. I actually, I couldn't believe it. So I got this bright idea. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. And I figured that, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to slowly hide from view of the cameras. <laughs> cameras are back here, right? 
So I, at first, I was on the front row feeling tall and important. So I kid you not, I slowly, slowly began to shrink down in my seat there on the front row. It's ever so slowly, not to draw attention to myself, as I was trying to make my visual escape. And so I get down there, all the way, and my head's just about ready. At the back of the thing, I'm all scrunched down like this. And then all of a sudden, I look forward, and I spy in front of me, from floor to ceiling, left to right, mirrors. It dawned on me there was no escape. And all I did was give these guys a great view of some wacko scrunched on the front row. I went home thinking, my way is dumb way. <laughs> Why didn't I check in with God? It was dumb. Right? Now, now, granted, folks, I give you a, a hilarious example. Okay? It was a good spanking from God, for me personally. I laugh about it now. It wasn't funny that day. Right? Just crawling out of there. Right? I was sweating bolts for weeks. Scanning the channels. Oh, please don't be showing. Please don't. <laughs> but how many times have we gone through this and we assume that it's got to be God's way because it's our way? And, and it's not funny. And it really does hurt. And it creates a lot of havoc. And we get burned. And again, folks, we, we assume that God's way has to be our way. And, but sometimes, folks... Let me add to you this. It's not just that you need to check in and see if it's God's way. When you check in and see if it's God's way, sometimes it isn't going to be your way, and it's specifically going to be a way that you may not understand. But you still trust him and his goodness and his lordship and do it anyway because he knows what he's doing. Corey Tin Boom, she shares this story. She learned this with her sister. If you're not familiar with her, uh, World War II uh, survivor, concentration camps, Holocaust, Okay, Corey Tim Boom and her sister uh, Betsy had just uh, been transferred to the worst German prison camp that they'd been to yet called Ravensbrück. And they, along with hundreds of other women, were stripped of their few belongings and forced into a very small barrack. And the problem was it was not only cold and overcrowded, but it was infested with fleas. Right? But by a miracle of God, they managed to smuggle in a small Bible. Small Bible. And so Corey and Betsy would read it as often as they could for personal encouragement. And one morning they read the passage in the Bible that said to give God thanks in all things, right? So Betsy and Corey told, uh, Betsy told Corey that they need to stop and thank the Lord for everything, listen, including the fleas. All things. Well, frustrated and flea-bitten, Corey refused to give God thanks for those fleas, but her sister persisted until finally Corey gave in begrudgingly. But the good news is that during those months that they had spent in that flea-infested barrack, those sisters were able to not only hold regular Bible studies to encourage themselves, but many of the other hurting women as well. And of course, this was a huge risk because if the guards had caught them, they would either be tortured or killed. But for some strange reason, the guards never, ever, ever seemed to notice. And that's when several months later, they finally learned the reason why. You see, the guards would not enter the barracks because of all the fleas. True story. Turn to somebody and say, thank God for the fleas. Right? God knew what he's doing the whole time. Right? How many times with us? Oh, this doesn't make sense. Come on, get it up, get it up. Just trust him. He knows what he's doing. Just like with that true story, folks. We don't have to wait for an attack of the killer fleas to get this blessing. We need to acknowledge what Isaiah says. God's ways are higher than our thoughts. His thoughts are, hello, he's God. Trust in him. Submit to his goodness, his lordship. He knows what he's doing. And everything is going to turn out just fine. It's kind of like this saying. I love, I love this, okay? This is what we do. God's ways versus ours, all right, uh, is what we see here. Well, I asked for strength, and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. And, and then I asked for wisdom, and God gave me problems to solve. And, and then I asked for prosperity, and God gave me brain and brawn to work. Okay, and I asked for courage, and God gave me danger to overcome. And I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people to help. And I asked for favors, and God gave me opportunities. And I received nothing I wanted, but you know what? <laughs> I got everything I needed. Isn't that just like God? How much easier would our walk with Jesus be if we would just acknowledge what Isaiah is trying to tell us? God is God, and we're not. His way is different than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He knows what he's doing. Just trust him. Give him unquestionable obedience. You got it? You want me to live in the fleas? Praise God for fleas. There must be something fantastic, wonderful reason why you're allowing this. Have a great day. This is 
Jesus. And this is the kind of obedience that we need to give to him. The second thing we've forgotten to think about his lordship is not only that his ways differ than our ways, hello, which again is common sense logic, right? The second thing is, did you know that God doesn't buy into our excuses? In case you're wondering, that's the conviction noise. That's right. Yeah. In fact, don't take my word for it. Listen to all these excuses. Jesus gives an order, and listen to what they just string them along. Oh, 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 oh. right. And uh, Jesus uh, calls them on the carpet every single time. Luke chapter nine, verse fifty-seven to sixty-two. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, "Jesus, by the way, uh, I, I, I will follow you wherever you go." Really. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There's no guarantees. This is not a life of cushion, right? Are you really understanding what it means to follow me? It's not going to be easy, okay? He said to another man, he said, follow me, Jesus said. But the man replies, Lord, what's the word he said with his mouth? Lord, first what? Let me go bury my father. And what's Jesus say? Jesus said to him, you let the dead bury their own dead, but you go do what I said to do. Go proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another one said, I'll follow you. What's the word? Lord. But, but first, let me go back and, and, and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. That's from Jesus. Serious words, okay? Here we have several people saying, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do what he says. I'm even saying him as Lord. But when it came down to it, what they do? Just offered him a long string of excuses. And again, they called him Lord. But the problem was they didn't submit to him as Lord. It's called lip service. And if you believe in his lordship and who he is, it's life service. You're not trying to earn your salvation. We can't. But when you understand who he is, yes, as our Savior, but also as Lord of all, who wouldn't want to do what he says? His character, he's good, he's awesome. He'll take fleas and do something fantastic with them. Hello, just do what he says. You need to submit. We need to submit to him as being Lord, okay? They didn't do what the Lord Jesus asked them to do. And what was Jesus' response? That's okay. Maybe next time, partner. Huh? No, oh, you got, yeah, hey, okay, you got me. Whoo, I, I, I got, I, your excuses, oh, they make so much sense to me. It's so logical, I get it. Okay, you're escaped from that responsibility. What did Jesus say? You're not fit for the service of my kingdom. You're a fake. You profess me as Lord, but I see right through you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. There's a disconnect there. Because if you really mean it when you call him Lord, Lord, it's a different attitude. So again, this is hopefully something that we're not doing. We're not saying Lord, Lord, and we're not really doing what the Lord says, and we're not offering a bunch of excuses, are we? You guys want to repeat the noise? Okay, go ahead. Okay, because here it comes. I think we are. I think, unfortunately, we are, and I think it's because it's a trend in our society. What is one thing that our society refuses to do? Nobody wants to take responsibility for their actions, right? It's always somebody else's fault. You always make excuses for this. Oh, it's not me, it's them. It's that, it's this, that, blah, blah, blah. Nobody wants to take, you know, oh, so excuses, and we're just, we, oh, just throw out an excuse and it makes it all go away. No, it doesn't. In fact, it's done so bad that we have made an art form out of excuses. I actually came across, this better not be from anybody here. I came across of a top 10 list of excuses to say, if you get caught sleeping at your desk at work, you better not be taking notes, All right? This is a hopefully an illustration, right? Number 10, they told me at the blood bank this might happen, right? I'm just trying to do public service duty. Uh, number nine, this is just a 15-minute power nap they raved about in the last management course you sent me to, right? It's your problem. Hey, phew, I guess I left the top off that liquid paper. That fumes, they get you, you know what I'm saying? 
Hey, hey, I wasn't sleeping. I was meditating on the mission statement and envisioning a new paradigm. But you messed it up, man. I was right in the middle of it. Hey, number six, this is one of those seven habits of highly effective people. You take a nap. And, uh, hey, no, I was testing the keyboard for drool resistance. I'm one of those techie guys. You know what I'm saying? I'm here for the employee. Hey, no, no, number four. Oh, rats, why did you interrupt me? I'd almost figured out the solution to our biggest problem. Boss, you ruined it. Hey, number three. Hey, someone must have put decaf in the wrong pot. Now, there's a little bit of truth to that. Have you experienced that? <laughs> you ever get it snookered like that? But let's just move on. Number two. Okay, I wasn't sleeping. I was trying to pick up a contact lens without hands. Trying to show you how talented I am, boss, right? But apparently, folks, the, the best thing to say if you get caught sleeping at your desk at work, especially if you're a Christian, is simply put your head up and say, amen. Yeah. <laughs> sure, that's what you were doing, Bobby. I don't think so, you spiritual guy, you. Yeah. Okay. But again, this is what we do. No matter how ridiculous it is, man, we don't just do this with our employer. We do it with God. As if he doesn't know. Right? And then to make it even worse, we do the exact same thing that the people in the text did. Not just make excuses, we try to strike a bargain with God. Right? Because that's what they were doing. I'll, I'll strike a bargain with you, right? You told me to do something, but I'm going to... Folks, I don't know if you learn. You ain't coming out on top when you try to strike a bargain with God. Like this preacher learned. One day this country preacher decided to skip Sunday services. Mm -mm. By the way, that's not where I was the last two weeks. And instead, he, uh, he went to the hills uh, to do some bear hunting, right? And he's around in the corner on this perilous twist in the trail. He and a bear collided, right? And it sent him and his rifle tumbling down the mountainside. And before he knew it, uh, his rifle went one way, and he went the other way, and he landed on a rock, and he broke both of his legs. That was the good news. The bad news was the ferocious bear charging at him from a distance, and he couldn't even move. And so he prayed. He says, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for skipping services uh, today to, to come out here and hunt. Please forgive me and, and, and grant me just one wish. Please, God, please make a Christian out of that bear that's coming at me. Please, Lord. Kid you not, that very instant, bang, the bear skidded to a halt, fell to its knees, clasped his paws together, and began to pray right aloud at the preacher's feet. Dear God, please bless this food I'm about to receive. <laughs> just doesn't work, does it? Trying to strike a bargain with God, give him a string of excuses. Folks, come on. This is God knows everything. What are we doing? But we still play the game, right? And this is what we see in this text. Jesus is giving a simple command. It's not a big line. Oh, I, it, was, it was 14 pages long. I don't know what he said. I'm so confused. No, it's just two words. Follow me. That's it. Follow me. And even though they called him Lord in name only, they didn't submit to him and obey him as Lord. And they gave him a bunch of excuses. See if it sounds familiar. Let me first. See, that's the problem. Who comes first? Not me first. Not what I want. God, Jesus, he is Lord of all. Let me first go bury my father. You know what's going on there? He wanted to get his inheritance. Can I translate that for you for the vernacular? Hey, let me first get some big money. Let me make sure I got a large savings account. Let me make sure I got a retirement plan, a 401k plan. Make sure that I'm financially secure. Then after I've done all that, then I can follow you, Jesus. Excuse me? I can't tell you how many Christians I have challenged over the years. Drop those stinking nets, and if God is telling you to do it, risk it all. But I can't. I'd have to give up my job, get a new job. Do what he says. You're going to put that job before him. Same thing. No, let me first. Let me, let me first go say goodbye to my family and tie up loose ends and make contact with my friends and acquaintances. I've got to make sure that it's convenient with all my relatives. We know this in ministry. Sometimes you've got to say goodbye to your family. But Jesus comes first. And that's what they said. Let me first. The correct response when he says, follow me, is, yes, God, you first. Not my finances, not my secure future, not my family, not my conveniences, not my friends. You. Why? Because this is Jesus. He's not just our Savior. He's the Lord of the universe. When he gives an order, we obey. How dare we question him? Let alone give him excuses. 
He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the master of the universe. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He looks at the stars and he says, move to this place and they obey. He says to the planets, pick yourselves up and whirl and they do. He says to the mountains, be lifted up. The valleys be cast down. They obey. He looks at the sea, says you will come this far and no more. And they do. And he looks at you and says, follow me. And you say, no, let me first. Can I repeat the phrase? Anybody got a problem with that? Something's wrong. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. Jesus did. And how far can you push this attitude? And it's really showing a deeper problem. Have you really surrendered to Jesus Christ? Is he really your savior? I don't know the heart. Only God does. I, I'm very replete. I'm trying. It's it's only his work on the cross, but we got to deal with the scripture that says there's many that will profess, but they don't possess. And did you know, the same thing was true in Noah's day, at the first judgment. Like this video shows. Let's take a look. When God said, "Come into the ark, you and all your household," Noah saw God close the ark. And the people on the outside didn't. I wonder if he slept those seven days before the rains came. I know if it was me, I couldn't have slept. I know there were sleepless nights that I have. And I'm pondering the things of God and what he has showed me and what is coming to this country. Can you sleep? I don't see how you can sleep at night. The bingo halls are full. The churches are empty. And you may be saying, Sam, but my church is full. Full of what? Dead men's bones? The casinos are full, but no one will give to God? Concerts are packed, but no one will praise the Almighty. We will scream and shout for a rock star, but sit quietly bored when hearing about God Almighty. We will sit through a movie for two hours, but we can't even pray for two hours. We will drive out of state for a game or a race. We can't even get up on Sunday morning or Sunday nights or Wednesday to hear the word of God. And these are so-called Christians that do this. Not only is the world asleep and the fire is getting ready to come upon this earth, but the Christians are asleep. This is Christians that do this. They give God crumbs while they dine on the fruits of the world. They demand unconditional love, and they give God lip service. They demand blessing, though they curse His name. They demand the flesh, but they crucify the Spirit. They say we can't go to church every time the doors are open, but they can take their kids to football, baseball, basketball, wrestling, dance, circus, the fair, or just sit in front of a TV all night long. But going to be in the presence of the Heavenly Father is just too much to ask for them. We will work 8, 10, 12 hours a day to pay the bills and buy the bass boat. But we will tell the one who breathed life into us, one hour should do, God. We sit in church, but we are godless. We have a form of godliness but we deny the power thereof. I don't see how the lukewarm Christians can sleep at night. Before the rains came, I believe Noah couldn't sleep, but the world outside was sleeping just fine. They fell asleep. If it were today, they would have fallen asleep watching TV. They would have just gotten home from their favorite game or their movie. They would have been doing everything under the sun eating and drinking and being merry, not knowing that tomorrow they shall die. You cannot say you were not born. In Luke chapter 21, verse 11, it says, And great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, and famines and pestilences, and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. In verse 25, it says, But for blessing the sea and the waves roaring, can't say you were not born. You cannot say you had not a Noah that did not preach to you. 
for 120 years because you ignored him. You said, who is that man? Oh, that's just Noah. He's going to the church house. That's just Noah. He's always talking negative. That's just Noah. Let's go back to sleep. Oh, at least when Jesus was praying in the garden, when the disciples slept, at least they woke up. When the servants slept and the enemy came and sowed the tares, at least the, the servants woke up. But when Jesus Christ comes back, his kingdom will be likened unto the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish, and they will be sleeping, all of them. Oh, that we may open our eyes and see, see what is coming. But yet, we sleep on. God have mercy. Yeah, God have mercy. What did Jesus say before he's coming back a second time? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. You're going to see a repeat behavior as it was in Noah's day. And how many people do we know in the American church today that seem to have the same questionable attitude towards obedience to God? Not realizing it might be a sign that you're about to miss the boat when the rapture takes place this time. Why? Because we're saved by our works? Absolutely not. Because you're showing signs that maybe you still need to get saved in the first place. I didn't say that. Jesus did. Matthew chapter 7, verse 18 through 21. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. Can we agree on that? Right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be a good tree. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called a bad tree. And this is from Jesus, by the way. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, it's what? It's cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their what? fruit, you will recognize them. What's he talking about? The context is fake and real, all right? Sheep and goats, wheat and tares, true and not true, right? Good tree, bad tree. That's what he says. Thus, by their fruit, you're going to recognize them, right? Not everyone who says to me, oh, there's those words again, Lord, Lord. You could even have that coming out of your mouth. That didn't save you. Will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So does that mean you've got to live a perfect life? Is it, absolutely not. We Christians are going to blow it. Anybody blow it recently? The rest of you just did. You lied. <laughs> Hello. Myself included. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. But here's the point. Something's wrong. That's not a good flag. It's not a good sign. Only God knows the heart. I don't know the heart. But God does. And I didn't say these words. Jesus did. But nobody makes it. Past him, you can't fool him. If you could really give a rip about doing the will of God, period. If you have that same questionable attitude towards obedience and you must demand that his way has got to be your way before you can obey or just give him a bunch of string of excuses and try to bargain with him and you think it's all oh, it's okay and the whole time you go, Lord, Lord, Lord. Do you really want to go there? I mean, what if you were wrong? I'm not here to cast doubt. I believe in eternal security. Praise God for that. If our salvation was not 100% complete and secure, we'd all be burning straight in hell, myself included. But we got to deal with this category. The scripture says that there's going to be many who take the wide road that leads to destruction. And yet there's a smaller road, a narrow road, which leads to life. And only a few. How far can you push us? Now, my thing is this. Why would you even want to go there in the first place? If you love him and you're thankful and you're grateful that he's not only our savior, but he's our Lord of all and he's so awesome and he's good and you just do what he says and have a fantastic day, fleas and all. Amen? Why would you want to go there? And that's the good news. If you just get back to that, then you not only experience God's fruit, but then he'll give you a life worth living for a Christian and he'll use you to lead many souls to him in these last days before it's too late. Because the rapture could happen today. The rapture could happen before the Super Bowl starts today. And for those of you who just got disappointed with that statement, 
Let me start all over with page one. <laughs> Benjamin Rush. No, I wouldn't do that. All right, no. Folks, this is serious stuff. Let's make sure that our hearts are right with God. And let's get busy loving him as Lord of all as he deserves. Amen? Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing 
and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.